Dr. Ron Comfort. Thank you, Pastor. Let's stand, please, everybody standing. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 3, most familiar text in the entire Word of God. And when you have found John chapter 3 and verse 16, I want us to quote it or read it all together. John 3 and verse 16, are you ready? All together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Thank you. You may be seated. When you were a little boy or a little girl and you went to Sunday school for the first time, no doubt one of the first verses that your Sunday school teacher asked you to memorize was John 3 and verse 16. There have been probably more sermons preached from this text than any other text in the Bible, but here's an interesting thing. Although you may have heard a dozen sermons from John 3.16, you've never heard two that are exactly alike, and that's the depth of the Word of God. In 1891, a tribe called the Telugas in India had a man get up and preach on John 3.16. That day, there were 2,200 and 22 people saved as a result of the preaching of that verse. Five months later, there were 5,000 people that had been saved after that. When the year was up, 12 months, there were 10,000 people. It all started by the preaching of John 3 and verse 16. I call this, ladies and gentlemen, the sweetest song ever sung this side of heaven. Every song that is written is written in a particular key. Our song, the sweetest song ever sung this side of heaven, is written in the key of be saved. Our song has four movements to it. First of all, notice the first phrase, the cause. For God so loved the world. That little word, so, is the biggest word in the English language. The songwriter said, Could we with ink the ocean fill? Or were the skies of parchment made? Would every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. For God so love the world. Ephesians 3 and verse 18 says, it's impossible to comprehend the height, the depth, the breadth, or the width of the love of God. Ephesians 3 and verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Ephesians 5 and verse 2, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Galatians 2 and verse 20, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, For it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. 
Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Perhaps the greatest love that is known to mankind is the love that a woman has for her child. How many of you ladies or mothers, would you raise your hand, please? All right. Do you remember the night those labor pains started? You say, how in the world could I ever forget them? Well, they started out slowly, didn't they? And they kept intensifying, and they kept intensifying. And before that baby was born, you thought it was impossible to remain sane and experience that type of pain. Hey, how long did it take you to forget about that pain. The moment you held that little bundle of joy in your arms, that pain was a distant memory. And uh, you bring the baby home from the hospital. You put the baby in a crib, and your ear is attuned to that crib all night long. You get up one morning and you say, Honey, did you hear the baby turn over? And what does your husband say? I didn't hear anything. Who is it that stays up late at night or early in the morning and puts a cold pack on a baby's head when it has a 103 temperature? Is it the husband? Not on your life. It's the wife. And by the way, isn't that why abortion is so unnatural? Hey, you know that our little great-grandbaby is uh, the Pena's uh, the daughter. You know that, don't you? And she put a little video on there, and, and she's only, Alana's only probably a year and three months old, but she was dragging her little dolly. And she held that little dolly in her arms. What is the first thing that a, a girl wants for Christmas when she gets old enough to tell you? She wants a little baby, a dolly. And God has put in the heart of every woman the desire one day to be a mother. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about a love that far exceeds that love. The love that God has for you, for God's soul love the world. That love is unconditional. Romans chapter 10 and verse 21, but to Israel he saith, all day long have I held out my arms to a disobedient and a, a gainsaying people. It's unconditional. You say, I've been a pornographer. He wants you today. You say, I've been an abortionist. He wants you today. No matter what your sins has been, He wants to make them as white as, as, as snow. Uh, I heard about a, an, a lady who came to a preacher one night, and she said, Preacher, I want to be saved, but I can't be saved the way I am. He said, Ma'am, if you get saved, you'll have to come just like you are. She said, I can't tell you how I've been. Uh, it would embarrass you. It would embarrass me. He said, ma'am, just like you are. She said, but preacher, I need to reform, and then I'll get saved. He said, just like you are. 
She went home thinking about the preacher's words, just as I am. In the wee hours of the morning, Charlotte Elliott got out of her bed, got down on her knees, and asked God to save her. After Charlotte Elliott was saved, she wrote, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And as thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. That love is unconditional. Number two, it's undeserved. Man came to me in Kansas City and he said, Brother Comfort, <clears throat> he said, I go downtown and I see these dirty, stinking, smelly hippies. And he said, it makes me sick. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, how do you think you looked to God before God saved you? You think God looked down and he saw somebody who took a bath, wore deodorant, had a nice personality and said, I'll save him because he'll be a help to my cause? I said, sir, that's not why God saved you and God saved me. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, we were dead in trespasses and in sin. Ephesians 2 and verse 2, we were disobedient in our minds by wicked works. Ephesians 2 and verse 12, we were strangers, we were aliens in our mind. Ephesians 2 and verse 13, we were afar off. John 15, 13 says, And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But let me remind you of something. You and I were not his friends. We were his enemies. Romans 5 and verse 6 says, We were ungodly. But Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God commended this love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world. An atheist came to Bughouse Square in Chicago. Bughouse Square is exactly what the name implies. It's a place where the heretics come and they propagate their false doctrine. Well, on this occasion, the atheist had a large crowd assembled before him. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here for one reason. He said, I'm going to take five minutes and prove to you that there's no God. He said, now, at the end of that five minutes, if there's anybody stupid enough to believe in a God, I want you to take the platform. So he looked at his watch and he looked at the sky and he said, God, <laughs> if there is a God in heaven, I'll give you five minutes to strike me dead. He paced the platform. He said, what's wrong? Has your God gone on vacation? God, are you deaf? You've only got three minutes. He kept pacing the platform. He looked at his watch and he said, now God, in 30 seconds, there are a lot of people not going to believe in you. If you're up there, strike me dead in the next 30 seconds. Five minutes were up. He said, now you see, I told you there was no God. He said, is there anybody in this crowd stupid enough to believe in a God? A young man raised his hand and he said, sir, I'd like to take the platform. On down the aisle ran a young man from Moody Bible Institute. When he got to the platform, he said, ladies and gentlemen, on my way over here today, I met a little boy. His clothes were ragged and dirty. It was obvious he hadn't had a bath in a long time. So I walked over to him and I said, young man, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to take you to a restaurant and get your meal. 
the little boy balled up his fists and he said, get away from me. I'll have nothing to do with you. He said, I walked over a step closer and I said, young man, you don't understand. I'd like to take you to a restaurant and give you a meal, give you some money and buy you some clothes. He said, I don't want anything to do with you. Finally, he put his hand on his shoulder, just a show of affection and said, young man, I'm your friend. I want to help you. The little boy said, get your dirty hands off me. I don't want anything to do with you. He said, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one reason why I didn't slap that little boy's face. Because I loved him. He said, today this atheist has gotten up here and he's blasphemed the God of heaven. He said, there's only one reason why the God of heaven did not strike him dead. Because he loves him. You know what happened that day in Bughouse Square? Over 100 people received Jesus Christ because somebody stood up and told them that Jesus Christ loved them. The cause for God's soul loved the world. The cost that He gave His only begotten Son. Ladies and gentlemen, I have three daughters. I have in my Bible, and, and Brother Bill knows this, every Bible I take to chapel, I have my daughter's picture in it. The one I take to church has my daughter's picture in it. Whenever I ha see a lady singing at the pulpit, I look at my three daughters. And I love them so much, no man ever loved his three daughters any more than I love mine. And we have traveled around the world. I preached in 35 different countries, 50 states, and do you know what? God has given us hundreds of thousands of friends during that time. But there is not a friend that I would let one of my daughters die for. I'll go farther than that. I wouldn't take all of my hundreds of thousands of friends together and let one of my daughters die for all of those hundreds of thousands of friends. But I want to remind you, God didn't have three children. He only had one son. He looked all over heaven and there was not an angel good enough to die on the cross for our sins. So he sent his only son not to die for his friends, but to die for his enemies. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I love to hear definitions of grace. Somebody says grace is an acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. Somebody else says grace is unmerited favor. That's good. I like what the black preacher said. God, uh, grace is God minus you plus nobody. It's all of God. Amen. But ladies and gentlemen, although it is free, it certainly wasn't cheap. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he that's God hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Galatians 3 and verse 13. But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen. Little girl was playing with her neighbor friend one day, and she came home and she said, Mommy, 
She said, let me see your hands. And her mother held out her hands and they were scarred and ugly. She said, mommy, why? She said, my friend's mother's hands are so smooth and, and beautiful. Yours are scarred and ugly. She said, honey, I've never told you this, but you were creeping on the living room floor and I left the room. And the next thing I knew when I came in, I saw you had fallen into the edge of the fireplace. Mama grabbed you up and protected you. Not a scratch or burn was on you. But she said, these were the price that Mommy paid for your safety. The little girl stroked her mother's hands and began to kiss them. And she said, Mommy, those are the most beautiful hands in the entire world. For God so loved the world, the cause, that he gave his only begotten son the, the, uh, the cost, uh, that whosoever believeth in him, the condition. Many years ago, I was in Colorado for a meeting. Pastor told me, Brother Comfort, I have been dealing with a lady who's a Roman Catholic, and I was not getting anywhere with her. So finally, I decided to leave her a gospel of John. And I challenged her. I said, ma'am, I've tried to tell you how to get saved, and you don't seem to understand it. He said, let me give you a challenge. Here's the gospel of John. Would you read this? And when you've read it, call me up, and I'll come back and get your assessment of the gospel of John. He said, Brother Comfort, she called me today and I'm going to see her. Would you like to go to see her with me? I said, preacher, I'd be glad to. And this is classic, folks. Now, this woman had been Roman Catholic like I was. So we sat down in her living room, and she said, preacher, I don't understand it. She said, all of my life I've been told that there are seven sacraments that I have to observe. There are commandments I have to keep in order to be saved. She said, I've looked through the Gospel of John and I've not found one sacrament I have to observe. I haven't found one commandment I have to keep in order to be saved. She said, all I found is this, that I simply have to believe. He said, ma'am, that's what I tried to get across to you. Do you know that in the Gospel of John, the word believe is used 98 times or its equivalent. Here are some, John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. John 3 and verse 15, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. John 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. John 6 and verse 35, Then Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 7, 37 and 38. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John 8 and verse 
24. I said therefore unto you that if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now you know how God concludes the book of John? John 20, 30, and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Get it? But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Now, it's the condition to believe. Have you come to that place? Hey, for 15 years, I believed in my head. I'd go to church and I'd hear the preacher preach, Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again. He rose back up into heaven. And I thought I believed it, but it was a head knowledge. But I believed in Jesus like I believed in George Washington. Believing in George Washington never changed my life, nor believing in Jesus changed my life. When I was 15 years of age, a preacher said this. He said, there are 18 inches difference between heaven and hell. If you believe in your head, it'll take you to hell. If you believe in your heart, it'll transform your life and it'll take you to heaven. 67 years ago, as a 15-year-old boy, I traded a head knowledge for a heart knowledge. I exchange an eternity in hell for an eternity in heaven. Let me say this, folks. If when you walked down that aisle and made that profession, if there was no change in your life, are you listening? There was no salvation. A faith that does not change a person's life does not save a person's soul. Can I say that again? A Faith that does not change a person's life does not save a person's soul. If I were to go downtown in Tampa at noon today and I were to do an interview of people on the street and ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Probably out of 195 would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Does that mean 95 are saved? No. What does James say about that? James 2.19. Thou believest that there's one God, thou doest well. Hey, the devils believe and tremble. The devils believe, but they're still devils. There was a great tightrope walker many years ago by the name of Blondin. And he got an idea that he was going to do something that nobody else had ever done. Many had tried, but nobody had succeeded. So he told the wire services that on a certain day, he was going to go across the Niagara on a tightrope. Well, the wire services picked it up for months in advance. And the day came when Blondin was to make his historic trek. The crowds filled the banks of the Niagara. He went up to the platform. He stepped slowly on a, a line across the Niagara. And he put his other foot there, and then another foot, and then another foot, until finally when he got to the other side, he was trotting. They clapped, and they applauded, and they cheered. They had seen history done. 
He said, all right. He said, how many of you believe that I could put a man in a wheelbarrow and push him across the Niagara on this tightrope in a wheelbarrow? Why, they clapped, they applauded, and they cheered. They'd seen what he had just done. He said, all right, who'll be that man? Nobody said a word. Finally, a man said, Mr. Blondin, I'll be that man. He came to the platform, placed himself in the real wheelbarrow, and Blondin took him across the Niagara in the wheelbarrow. How many said they believed in Blondin? All of them. How many really believed in Blondin? One. I ask you, have you had a head knowledge or have you had a heart knowledge? The cause for God's soul loved the world. The cost that he gave his only begotten son. The condition that whosoever believeth in him, the consequence, should not perish, but have everlasting life. In that phrase, there's a contrast. There's the word perish, that means hell. There's the words everlasting life, that means heaven. Somebody said, well, I don't believe a loving God would send a soul to hell. You know, there are two things wrong with that. Number one, hell was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41, Matthew 25, 46. And if you die and go to hell, you're going to be trespassing. Number two, God did not make you a robot. He made you with a will to choose. And you've got a choice today. Either the wages of sin is death, hell, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's heaven. Hell is a real place, Luke 16, 28. Eight, the man in hell said, lest they come into this place of torment. Heaven is a place. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 3, and I go away and prepare a place for you. Have you ever thought about this, folks? There are three things that are the same about heaven and hell. Number one, they both last the same amount of time. Number two, there's no exit from either one. Number three, they that go there will be there forever. You've got a choice, ladies and gentlemen. I have in my library a book called Testimonies of Dying Saints and Dying Sinners. And it talks about many times in years gone by, before a person crossed the river of death, they had a glimpse of the hereafter. Do you know how D.L. Moody died? D.L. Moody was on his deathbed, and his son was standing beside of his bed. And D.L. Moody looked up and he said, Earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. He said, is this death? Why, there's no valley here. His son said, Dad, keep quiet. You've been dreaming. He said, Son, I haven't been dreaming. I've already been within the gates of heaven. I've seen the smile on my grandchildren's faces who are in heaven. He said, This is my coronation day. This is triumph. This is glory. But on the other hand, do you know how the infidel Voltaire died? As Voltaire was on his deathbed, his infidel friends came in to see him. Voltaire mustered all of his dying strength. He raised himself from the bed and screamed at the top of his lungs, 
Get them out of here. Get them out of here. He said, you have damned my soul to hell, and I don't want to see the sight of your face in my dying moments. You know what his infidel friends did? They put a watch of infidels outside of his bedroom, lest anybody should come in and see how an infidel died. Finally, as Voltaire was dying, he said, get my feet out of the flames. Get my feet out of the flames. His dying words, I wish I had never been born. The nurse that attended the death of Voltaire said, she would never again for all the money of London, England, watch another infidel die. Now folks, if what you have is not good enough to die by, it's not a good enough to live by. And you can go out of here saying, heaven is my home. I've received Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No